Combo Nation, happy holidays. If you're unwrapping this episode on Christmas Eve or Christmas or any other time, we appreciate you. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Thank you to everyone who tunes in to Combos Court across the globe. And welcome to episode 539 of Combos Court. And you know who it is. I am Combo on this one. Jason Timph of Hoops Tonight joins in to talk Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks. Would that be a good fit? We talk about that. Best landing spot for Zach Levine. Clippers basketball and more. Just a fantastic conversation with Jason. Go subscribe to Hoops Tonight with Jason Timph on YouTube. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Daily fantasy sports made easy. With your skills and just a few easy taps, you could turn $10 into $250. Go to Prize Picks and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. That's right. Go to Prize Picks and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. Using code COMBO on Prize Picks is also a great way to support the show shouts to prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy intro music by luca beats let's get into it jason 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 welcome back to the show man how you been how you been I'm good, Combo. It's good to see you. I've been uh, thinking about you over the last couple of weeks because I've been coming back from my first like serious injury in my uh, uh, grown-up basketball life. And I know you recently went through an ACL repair a couple years back, didn't you? Was it ACL? It was, bro. I've been through three knee surgeries and two of them have been ACL repairs. Oh yeah, haven't been that bad, and my injury wasn't that bad, but it was a uh, it was like really severe Achilles tendonitis. Like it got to the point where I uh, straight up could not take off on it without experiencing severe pain, and then I tried to come back from it twice too early, and uh, like immediately made it worse. And then finally, I just cut my losses and took like a good solid six weeks off, and. I I'm ramping up now, but like I'm in this weird position where I'm getting some of my strength back and getting some of my rhythm back. But like at the same time, I don't really trust it to like make an explosive move. It's all up here. And, a lot of it's up yeah. here. Yeah. And, and like, that's concerning because that's an important part of my game, you know? So like, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's baby steps, but uh, dude, I'm telling you, I, and I was talking to one of the older guys that I play with yesterday and he's like, Hey, guess what? It only gets worse from here. And I was like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> So I'm sure a few weeks ago, all you were telling yourself is like, I just want to be on the court, right? I just want to be on the court. I'll be happy if I'm just on the court. Then when you get on the court, there's a new bar set, right? You're like, oh, I wish I could do this a little bit better. Oh, I wish I could do this a little bit better. So I guess a good exercise is always like, hey, I'm on the court playing, right? Yeah, one of the big things is when I get into a game where it's close late, especially like a random pickup game where like there's really no purpose in me going that hard, but then like my competitive nature kicks in. There was a play last week on Thursday, a contested rebound towards the end of a, a close game. And I like jumped the highest I've jumped since I hurt myself. 
and straight up just bailed on the jump when I got, so I got the basketball and then I was like, I'm not going to try to land right now. <laughs> so I just like, I, I literally like my, my heel ended up slamming into the ground and I just like went down in a heap and like landed on my hip. And I was like, Oh, and I literally, I looked up at the guys and I'm like too much too soon. <laughs> Were you thinking in your head? I'm old, I'm old, I'm old. <laughs> oh, dude, it's, it's literally the worst. And then, like, th- th- one of the biggest things, too, with Achilles is what always scares me is, like, that big, long negative step. You know what I mean? Like, that's yes. that that yes. uh, where where you're really planting, but in a way that's almost in, like, that calf uh, calf stretch position where, like, you're, you're stepping back. And that's a very important step in defense, uh, like, when you're trying to get up over the top of a screen or to chase someone around that really hard kind of, like, that push off from that foot. And that's been one of the big ones is like, just like kind of uh, trusting myself to really engage on defense. Cause that was the thing I was best at, like, especially back when I was in college, like I, I, I have good tools to be a good defender. And that's like a big part of like where I channel my energy and, and like literally like, it's just been, it's been a chore, but that said baby steps, I'm okay with it. And to your point, it feels good just to be back on the court. I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing basketball again man like and, and how challenging that was not having it there for a while yeah especially when like somebody gets physical with you it, it's like all of it goes out the window and nothing matters and you just go, <laughs> you start going you start going like super hard like you want to destroy this guy but then in the back of your head is like should i be going this hard should i oh dude that's that's literally what it is because we, we we had our men's league championship on sunday and specifically there was a post player on their team that we needed me to guard and like that's one of the 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 things that i'm uh, like have a lot of practice with because that's what i did in college like when i was in juco we didn't have a center so i had to guard all the centers and then in my second juco season i played power forward even though i was more of a wing i played power forward just because that was the way the size checked out and i'm a big dude like i weigh about 230 pounds and so like i like that's one of the areas where i can be useful is guarding post players but this kid he got off to a hot start in the game and i really had to like sit in a stance and absorb the blows you know where he's like hitting you with that drop step and again that's another thing where you're back on your uh uh, calf muscles relying on holding your ground and stuff Mm -hmm. and i just ended up going super hard through the end of the game but i will say after the game um i remember just being like super happy with how i the the situation forced me to engage myself yes but but i didn't feel any pain and I got out of it in one piece. And so in a weird way, even though it might have been a little too much too soon after the game, it actually kind of gave me a lot of confidence to know like, hey, like I can I can reach that level and not be in pain, which means I must have rested long enough, you know, for the tendon to heal to where it needs to get. Now, knock on wood, we don't want to go and get hurt this weekend, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so we'll get to Clippers in a moment, but I have to stay on this. Going through my career, I definitely guarded more guards than bigs. But when I guarded bigs, in general, I didn't feel as good on offense as when I guarded guards. Is that weird? Like, I just felt like when I was on the perimeter, guarded guards, I had so much more flow on the offensive side. Oh, yeah. I I mean, just in general, it's the most physically taxing job is defending a big post-up player. Uh, uh, Shadow Cam Boone, he uh, uh, played at Missouri State, I believe. He was a guy that I had to guard in a money tournament one of the times that I tried to come back too early. And I had to guard him back to back in the championship because that was it was a double elimination bracket for all the money. And like I had to two games back to back because literally it was it was a, a, a double elimination format. 
And like, I had to guard him for like 40 minutes twice in a row. And like, dude, I, I literally felt like I was in a boxing ring. Like yeah, it was insane, yeah. you know, it just wears you down. Whereas like, at least with the guards, there's not a physicality element. And then also length kind of buys you margin for like giving more space and right. to apply back pressure and stuff like that. So like, I actually, I, I prefer guarding guards from the standpoint of like the physical exertion element. It's just more like, you got to do what you got to do to win, you know? Most definitely. Uh, speaking of winning, the L.A. Clippers, everybody was talking about it when it started out really bad with the James Harden. And when they made that trade, I didn't think it made them the title favorites, but I think it gave them a better chance. Um, everybody was talking about who they should take off the bench and who should start. I felt at that time it should be James because he's more of that point guard that could put guys like Kawhi Leonard in spots. I thought he had to shoot more catch-and-shoot shots over the course of time, obviously, to fit with their other isocentric players. And I thought Russ was a better fit off the bench, even though it didn't work out in L.A. too good. But he's more energy than James, right? And you like energy off the bench. Um, Russ says that it was his decision to do this. Who knows? I think it was a great decision by Ty Lue, in my opinion. And they just made it seem like it was Russ's decision. But that's another topic for another day. <laughs> Outside of those things, what are you seeing during this winning streak with the Clippers that is allowing them to be so very successful, successful. I think it all comes down to the perimeter battle. Um, you know, it was funny because for the most part during the stretch, their offense hasn't been that great. Uh, it's been mm. better in the last like week or so, but uh, the, uh, it's been, they've been kind of a mediocre offense during this stretch. They've just been one of the best defenses in the league during this stretch. And it's been interesting because, like, I remember when they lost their first six games, I expressed concern as it pertains to their playoff ceiling mm. just because of specific matchups. Like, they gave up a significant amount of front court size for James Harden, and it's it's not so much the the other, you know, 27 teams in the league but or 26 teams in the league but minnesota la and denver in particular all have gigantic front lines mm -hmm. and like and i'm talking like seven games of them just pulverizing your interior line and, and how that could cause problems and so that was my concern but i remember at the time when they were losing those games like they're going to be fine in the regular season though because there's just too much offense here they're going to figure some stuff out and you know, what's interesting is, and, and this has been something consistent over the years uh, with the Kawhi, Paul George kind of like configuration, when the Clippers are healthy and they're really locked in on defense, they just put your best perimeter players in jail. And then on the other end of the floor, they can match up attack and get great shots. And and it's it's crazy, too, because one of the nice things about having Russell Westbrook and Terrence Mann in particular is they actually take the primary point of attack assignments. And then you get Kawhi and Paul George kind of like flying around in passing lanes and stuff off the yeah. ball. And they, and they've been wrecking havoc off the ball in those situations. Whereas like in the past versions of this team, it was more them on ball and right. in weaker help side defense. And I think that's been a big part of it, but I always look at the perimeter battle of dribble penetration, like containing dribble penetration on one end, and creating dribble penetration on the other. I look at that as like the offensive line, defensive line conflict that takes place in football. And like winning that push and pull is a huge part of winning basketball games. And the Clippers just have incredible personnel in that department. What have you made of Kawhi's emergence? Um, everybody talks about when he's not playing, but you don't hear as much about it when he's playing great. Like he's looking closer 
the Toronto Raptors Kawhi. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that because I think offense, he kind of looks like Toronto Raptors Kawhi, but maybe not quite yet on defense. Um, I don't know if you're seeing that, but do you think this is him just getting in better shape? Has James allowed him to be the best version of Kawhi like he did with Joel Embiid last year where Joel Embiid had his first MVP season? What are you seeing in that regard? Well, Kawhi is very much a strength-oriented player. And so I thought a little bit early in the season, he just didn't quite have his legs underneath him. Mm -hmm. Looked a little bit slow, wasn't getting as much separation, uh, wasn't getting as much lift. And now he just looks like robot Kawhi again. Yes. Uh, so I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that James Harden hasn't made things easier because, of course, he has. But I, I also just think it's a player getting into rhythm. Okay. You know, and it's kind of a bummer too because I I was watching a little bit of Thunder Clippers this morning and Kawhi didn't play in that game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Thunder are a team that is a unbelievable perimeter defense. They're like they're just yes. up at the point of attack, up in your business. They can switch. They've got multiple guys that can defend on the perimeter. And they're all kind of thin, except for Dort. And I was so I wanted I wanted as I was watching the game, I was like, man, I wish I could have watched Kawhi play in this matchup because he's like the ultimate equalizer there with that type of lineup, because it's like, you know, no matter how good he is on the uh, the the Thunder are on the perimeter, there's no real solution for like a perimeter player that's stronger than all your guys. Yeah. You know, and, and this is a big thing that I, I think that helps Kawhi be so productive in the playoffs and Luka be so productive in the playoffs and LeBron be so productive in the playoffs. When you have like a perimeter, I would even say this about Jamal Murray, whose best athletic trait is that he's strong as hell for his position. Like when you're just bigger and stronger than those perimeter guys, it doesn't matter how handsy they get. It doesn't matter how physical they are. You can just kind of bully them to spots and get great looks. And so that honestly, like the, the thunder put the Clippers in jail in that third quarter and Paul's a little thin and you know, James isn't the lead athlete he used to be. And I remember just being like, man, I wish I could have seen Kawhi in this game, but I, he, I just think he's a strength oriented player that has his legs underneath him now. And, and I mean, barring an injury, I think he's going to be kicking people's asses for a while. Your theory explains why Drew Holiday is such a good playoff player, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's I've just noticed this for me personally. It's funny. I used to play it around 205 when I was younger. Mm -hmm. uh, my first year in Juco, actually. What, what do you now? What do you now, by the way? I uh, I oscillate between like 225, 230, depending oh, on how wow. much I'm eating. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like, so I was like 205 is crazy because I was a freak. I was a freak athlete my first year in JUCO, like, like elbows above the rim type of dude could jump out of the gym, could right. do some stuff. But like, I just was thin. I was very thin. And uh, what happened was, is I had a stress fracture into my foot that summer and I had just signed a new deal. Uh, or a scholarship, I should say. And uh, it was a full ride scholarship. And so like, I felt pressure to show up, you know, ready to play, but I couldn't play because I had this stress fracture. So I just lifted like crazy and legitimately put on 20 pounds of muscle in one summer. <laughs> and like, wow. and I got to see firsthand just how that helps you. And it just, it just simply yeah. helps you get to spots. I don't know how else to frame it. It's just like, when I see a tiny bit of an angle, I can force my way through that angle to get to a spot. Whereas like when I was thinner, I needed wide open spaces to get where I was going because if I tried to fit through contact, they'd be able to, they'd be able to shove me off my spot. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, 
it just it, it just is crazy how much that helps. It completely unlocked my post up game, which is something I didn't have at the time. And and I just I just think it's one of the most important basketball traits. And it's I would argue I would actually argue of all the players that are in the NBA, the guy that I try to emulate the most is Kawhi. Uh, I, I just I think I think it's the the most reliable form of perimeter offense is like power power slashing with like high quality pull-up jump shots closer to the rim you know what I mean yeah I mean you mentioned a lot of the teams are big but with bigger stronger players they could kind of um well it's a small ball error in some ways like some teams are just they don't have the power guys underneath like they used to so those big strong guards could really exploit teams like a Luka like a Kawhi like even a LeBron and AD did in the bubble because there's just not as much down them down there in terms of rim protection yeah, it's it, it it there's the help side defense isn't as strong as it used to be just in terms of total aggregate size and yeah, in general exactly. a lot so many teams are leaning on thin perimeter length. It's like look at the Pelicans. It's like okay, yeah, they've got all this length and athleticism, but it's like Brandon is skinny and Herb Jones is skinny and Trey Murphy is skinny and CJ McCollum is skinny and it's like they can struggle against bigger, stronger perimeter teams. And like I even look at it when you look back at at our our previous champions and it's like you go back last year and it's like Jokic just a brawler uh, Aaron Gordon a brawler Jamal Murray a big strong guard you you go back to like the Bucks and it's Drew Holiday and it's Giannis and even Brooke who's really big for a center you go back to the Lakers and it's like Alex Caruso just like a brawler of a perimeter player right and Danny Green was a big, strong six-six mm-hmm. guy, and LeBron and Kawhi and and, and uh, Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet are all stocky players for their position. I just, I think, like in general, when you allow contact at a higher frequency or whatever you want to call it in the playoffs, and guys can be more handsy, it becomes like a center of gravity leverage game. Mm-hmm. And like when you have the when you have the the lower center of gravity and the strength, you can it's like a, being a fire hydrant. It's like it doesn't matter how big your truck is, drive into the fire hydrant and it's going to mess up the front of your truck, you know. For those who are only listening and not watching this, uh Jason <laughs> is wearing a Warriors basketball t-shirt. <laughs> so, let's shift to the Warriors. Is the dynasty over, Jason? Is it over? It's close. Uh everything hinges on what they do at this deadline. Um, I think that Steph and Clay and some other guys saved the season over this last stretch here. Uh, the reason why I say that is if you look at their schedule coming up, so Draymond's going to miss probably the next nine games, um, is my guess based on the Shams report, uh, about him missing basically the following two weeks after this week. Okay. And the hardest part of their schedule in that stretch was basically what they just went through, which was. Boston and Brooklyn and the Clippers mm-hmm. and uh and then I think they played Portland in there and they went three and one and now they're 13 and 14 and have an outside and now they're like one game out of the 10 seed or something like that and it's like if you go one and three in that stretch you're sitting three games out of the the eighth spot and you're heading into this nine game stretch but in this nine game stretch they're at home for all the games but one and they play some good teams in that span but like I actually think they'll probably go five and four which will put them at what eighteen and eighteen, mm-hmm. uh, with Dr- with Draymond coming back, and I think they're really well positioned for a trade in the sense that like Jonathan Kaminga is, in my opinion, like a real prospect. Not in like I don't think he's in that like like uh, Tyrese Halliburton, Anthony Edwards, like 
surefire superstar type of thing where it's not, it's not like, oh my gosh, whoever gets this guy is going to get a franchise cornerstone. He has a, but, he has a Jalen Brown ceiling. Yeah. I, I would argue he's got a higher ceiling than Jalen Brown. Cause he's wow. taller. Okay. But, but, but like it's, it's in question. So like, there's like a, there's like a, a scale here where it's like, he could become a first team, all NBA type guy, second team, all NBA type guy, which by the way, Jalen Brown, I believe has made a second team, all NBA. I think he did two years ago. So like he's capable of reaching that level, richest, he's also- richest, richest contract in the NBA. We might add. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Richest contract in the NBA. Although Jalen's been hooping lately. We got to give yeah. him a little bit of a shout out. He has, but he then has. the the bottom end of that spectrum is, is still, it's still like Jeff green. Like that's still on the table. I'm not saying it's likely, but it's on the table. So there's some risk there, but I would argue that as an asset, uh, that Jonathan Kaminga has a safer bet to become a top 10 player in the NBA than any arbitrary first-round pick out there. You know what I mean? Meaning like draft compensation. So, like, if you attach Kaminga to Chris Paul, you can hit a good, solid salary slot to bring back a player, and there's an asset there that, like, if I'm a GM and I'm getting Jonathan Kaminga back in a deal – that might be more appealing to me than a first round pick in 2027 from some random team. So because of that, like I think that it's really going to be if over the course of this next nine games, if they play well enough and if Draymond comes back and they play well enough until the deadline and they're within striking distance, let me just throw this out at, at you. What if they flip Kaminga and Chris Paul for a guy like Pascal Siakam? And it, it just as an example, and now I'm marching at a lineup in the Western Conference semifinals against Phoenix or Denver, or LA or Minnesota. And it's Stephen Clay with Andrew Wiggins and Pascal Siakam and Draymond Green. And I can switch basically at least two through five, if not one through five, with uh, you could probably hedge and recover with Steph and switch two through five. You've got Clay can defend bigger, stronger players. You've got uh, uh, a, like a, a more offensive punch from the standpoint of like, they haven't had a guy that can run two man game with Steph where both guys are legit scoring threats literally since Kevin Durant. So like you can, uh, and I mean, in terms of uh, different defensive archetypes too, like you're going to have to put a big forward on Siakam, have to put a quicker guard on Steph. So they're, they're going to be tempted to not switch. If they do, you're going to have opportunities to attack either player. Like, I, I think it's one of those things where uh, I, I would even, even say that like, the bigger fish out there. Cause like teams like OKC and Indiana might be involved. And like, I think they'd be targeting guys like OG or, or, uh, or Lori Markinen or like, like that's, what's cool about Siakam is he's a really good player. That's not the most desired player in this trade deadline. And so I think that kind of leaves some opening for a team like golden state to get in there and snatch him. Yeah. I haven't put much thought into the Pascal thing, but right off the top of the head, would that be enough for Toronto? If I, so the one concern for Toronto would be uh, one of the reasons why you consider trading OG and, and Siakam would be, oh, we have too many forwards and we want to have like more complimentary players. Because yeah. I would definitely build to, around, I would build around Scotty, you know? Yeah. But yeah. the flip side there would be, it's a sheer question of talent. Like, okay, let's say you can get a skill guard back for Pascal Siakam. What if that skill guard is just nowhere near as good as Jonathan Kaminga is capable of being, then he becomes the option. But the, the, the Warriors have draft picks available too. So like it would, it would probably look like Chris Paul, Jonathan Kaminga and a first. You know, and and at that point, if I'm Toronto, I'm like, I, I I have Chris Paul to come in and and 
provide some because that's the other thing with Toronto is like their backcourt is terrible. So like yeah, in I a mean, weird he, way he could, having he, a setup man. He could provide some of what they lost with Fred, right? Just from like a locker room perspective. Yeah. And so like you almost look at it as like, okay, we we're putting a, a forward next to to Scotty that's more on his timeline. Mm-hmm. And I'm bringing in a vet point guard uh, who, by the way, has played with Schroeder in the past, and the two of them were great yeah, together. Yeah, that's true. And, yep. and and so, and then again, like uh, what I would argue is like if you're a GM right now, and I'm like, hey, do you want uh, Golden State's you know 2027 first you know top five protected, or do you want Jonathan Kaminga right now at age 21, like? Just start doing that exercise with any of these teams around the league, and you're going to find out pretty quickly that Jonathan Kaminga is probably worth two first-round picks right now in a vacuum anyway, if not more. So, like, yeah. I, I think the hard part is, is, like, J.K.'s really good, and uh, Warriors fans in particular are very attached to him. But, again, it's a timeline thing. Like, at a certain point, you've got Steph Curry. He's 35. He's still averaging 28 on 65% true shooting. He's still bona fide top-five player in the NBA. You have a chance to win a title when you got one of those guys. So you have to make a decision. Do you want to be mediocre now and mediocre later? Or do you want to invest in the now or invest in the later? And and I think that'll just be the decision they have to make here over the course of the next month or so. So let's shift to another guy who might be get traded during this, before this trade deadline, Zach Levine. I think it's so interesting with Zach because I think many underrate him at this point. Because he's one of those guys like an Aaron Gordon, like an Andrew Wiggins, when they're in a better situation, they play better. When Lonzo was with the Bulls, Zach Levine was playing at a very elite level. And I think a lot of that was because Lonzo was the connecting piece to that team. So I think many look at Zach as good stats, bad team guy, but it wasn't like that when he was in a great situation with Caruso and Lonzo just playing basketball the right way. How do you feel about Zach's value right now? And where do you think the best fit would be for Zach? Not for the team, but for Zach. You know, because as a Laker fan, I've obviously thought through this situation a million times over. There's no question that for Zach, the best situation for him is the Lakers. Okay. And the the I I am just skeptical as to whether or not that's the best direction for the Lakers to go. But mm-hmm. from from Zach's perspective, if you think about it, like we we've we've talked about this a bunch, but like Zach, Zach struggles uh on defense on in basically every phase. Uh, he struggles on the ball and off the ball. Um, and Zach is a pull up shooter. That is not good enough to be the primary creator for a really good team. But you can imagine the two-man game opportunities you have playing alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis, both in the action and off the action. And in, where transi- and in transition with LeBron. Transition transition yes. with LeBron. There's a lot of upside there. Uh, of like for Zach Levine, on the defensive end, you look at it like, okay, Anthony Davis is behind you. The Lakers run a very aggressive blitz and rotate scheme. So uh, one of the ways that they've tried to take advantage of their athletes and to keep their players engaged defensively. And mm-hmm. Zach, you could uh, you can imagine a version of that where Zach's athleticism actually turns him into a pretty good option there. And then obviously just the shooting is such an enticing thing. And then you just start, start to imagine a lineup where if you have an Austin Reeves and a Zach Levine in the starting lineup, maybe you can get away with Jared Vanderbilt because – his offensive limitations are less big of a deal alongside LeBron and AD and all that stuff. I, I, I'm not, uh, I definitely think that would be the best situation for Zach. Now from the Lakers perspective, it just gets tricky because I think 
I don't think Zach is good enough offensively to put them offensively on a tier with teams like Denver and, uh, you know, and Phoenix potentially in the future. So I, I, I've, I've been in the boat of like target a guy like Caruso yeah. and lean and lean in on defense. I, I, like ideally for me, for the Lakers, I'd be looking to get like a Caruso from Chicago and then maybe a separate deal for a three, like a Dorian Finney-Smith or something like that from the uh, from the Nets. And I'd lean all in on the 2021 mold of just we lock everybody up and then Austin, LeBron and, and AD just generate enough offense. But there's no question for Zach. Like, can you can you talk you? I, I don't think you could conceptualize a better fit for him in terms of the best possible ability for him to reach his individual ceiling. Best bull for the Sixers. I know I didn't give you this uh, topic in the pre-production, but it kind of got me thinking because they could use another guy if they want to go on a title run. The thing with the Sixers that's tricky is they're kind of in a similar mold to the Lakers where they have a skill guard at the one. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I is tricky is like, I, I'm a big believer in like a, uh, the modern configuration of a basketball team is a skill guard, a point of attack guard, a tall, skinny, uh, like perimeter oriented forward, mm-hmm. and then a bigger, stronger forward, and then an athletic center that can switch or drop. That's kind of what I view as like the ideal version of a team, which by the way, I don't think is a coincidence why we see teams like Minnesota playing so well because it's like Anthony Edwards is your athlete guard, Conley's your skill guard, Jaden McDaniels are skinny forward, Cats your power forward, and Rudy Gobert's your athletic center that can switch and drop. Do you think that changes a little bit depending on depending on who your best player is? Of course, it, like yeah. I, I, it's it's more of like a loose fitting concept because okay. obviously there's like different versions of that because like that that's the other thing too. It's like what about a team like uh, what about, about a team like Denver? You know, like the exact, <laughs> the exact team I'm thinking of because when you have Jokic, I mean you it's Jamal Murray's a great fit, right? Because mm. he can play on the ball a little bit, off the ball a little bit. Like Jokic wouldn't fit as well with like a pure point guard that needs the basketball all the time. Exactly. And defensively, they have a weird configuration where their big strong forward is actually the guy they use on the perimeter and their skinny lanky forward is the one that they use in help side. And then they, they, they like get like refuse to switch with Jokic because it's just a bad strategy. (laughs) Yeah. So do you like, that's why I feel the NBA is less about slotting positions now and more about meshing tendencies and skill sets. For sure. I, I, and when I, when I put out that like kind of five man grouping that I was talking about, I mean that more as just like a, a, uh, like in a vacuum, if I could okay. build a team from scratch, that's what I would okay. do. And so from the Philly standpoint, like you, you look at their structure and you, you kind of need D'Anthony Melton as like this, uh, point of attack. He's basically Contavious Caldwell Pope for that team. Okay. And he's he's a little different offensively because he's not the movement shooter that KCP is, but he has more off the dribble pop than KCP does, in my opinion. So like it's a different type of player, but that that I I I don't view DeAnthony Melton as the upgrade spot for the Sixers. I look at it as like a three four thing. Mm-hmm. And again, it, you have to tell yourself like, okay, let's say you put Zach Levine at the three next to Tobias Harris. And it's, you know, or you used Tobias as trade filler and now you're marching out Kelly Oubre or, you know, Robert Covington or something or Nick Batum at the four. I, I just wonder if on the perimeter you become too weak defensively at that point. Uh, that three, four spot is just so vitally important in the NBA to defend. And, and so mm-hmm. I, I, it's, I do like the fit with Zach offensively. I just don't think it makes a ton of sense defensively in Philly. So let's stay on the East since we went to Philly. The New York Knicks. 
Now, I think there's a lot of redundancy and skill set when it comes to Donovan and Jalen. They're obviously different players, but I don't think that fits on the defensive side either when you're going deep into the playoffs. It's almost the same issue that Darius and Mitch have in the playoffs. Like, you don't want smaller guys, even though Mitch is one of those guys that's a little bit stronger than your smaller guard. As you know, you talked about that already with some of the stockier guards and how that helps you in the playoffs. I would say if there was a move to be made and you wanted to get Donovan, I would make sure you get Max in that trade because the Knicks are seriously missing a movement shooter since they never want to play Evan. Like, I would make sure Max is in that trade if I did it. But what are your thoughts on that trade? Does it make sense to you? You know, I did th- I did this exact same uh, spiel yesterday on my show. Like, I, don't make the same mistakes that the Cavs made and put mm-hmm. two small guards together that are redundant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, specifically, the, the other thing too is like, I just, I, I'm a big Jalen Brunson fan. <laughs> I think he's, he's so damn he's good. Great. He's great. Which, by the way, I, actually, before we go any further, do you remember when I said he's better than John Morant? I had said that just strictly within a playoff context right now, I think Jalen is a better like half court surgeon guy that I'd take over uh, over a, a jaw in like a playoff series right now. You got a, you got a lot, you got a lot of backlash for that, right? I know, but and, and all I meant is like here's the thing: in two years, Jaw's obviously going to be better. Like Jaw Jaw's going to be one of the top seven or eight players in the league in two years. You know, like that's the type of potential that he has. And, and obviously, just because of his athleticism, his potential is so much higher than Jalen Brunson. That said, like. I, I don't I don't understand. I, I it wasn't a negative John Morant take. It's just like Jalen Brunson is good, man. Like yeah. he straight up outplayed Donovan Mitchell in a playoff series last year. Just straight up outplayed him, you know. And you know, so from that standpoint, we go back to that same conversation we were just having. If Jalen Brunson is your skill guard, you don't put another weak perimeter defender who's small, who's a skill guard next to him. So uh, essentially the problem right now is like they have RJ Barrett playing at the three and they have Dante DiVincenzo into the starting lineup as the two. And he is like a good point of attack kind of athlete guard next to Jalen Brunson, but he's uh, ideally Dante DiVincenzo is a bench player for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you have uh, Julius Randall is your big matchup attacking forward and Mitchell Robinson, although his season is over, is your athlete center. And so the way I look at it is the two positions that are worth upgrading there. I look at R.J. Barrett more as a two. Ideally, if you had R.J. Barrett as this big six six guard that can defend at the point of attack next to Jalen Brunson, that's perfect. So what they need is a six eight dude who can shoot threes, guard on the perimeter, that slots between Barrett and Randall. And that, that's kind of the way I look at it. They're another team that should be targeting a guy from Brooklyn who has too many, uh, uh, you know, lanky wings and, and try to put one of those guys there. Cause like, again, if you look at, at New York, when Brunson and Randall are playing this well, and those two guys are hooping their asses off right now, they are mm-hmm. both balling. And it's like when those two guys, like they've been fourth in offense since November 4th. Literally, they've been one of the best offenses in the league. It's because those two guys are just cooking everybody. And they both kind of complement each other really well because Jalen Brunson's like your stereotypical, you know, heliocentric perimeter dude. And then Julius Randle's just your bully ball four, you know? And and, and so, like, honestly, I, I, I... I look at it more as like a defensive upgrade at the three could put them into that conversation. But honest, that one of the things that I could be really good for New York is Mitchell Robinson getting hurt removes the urgency. Cause it's like, 
you're, you don't ha- you're not good enough at the center position with Isaiah Hartenstein to win the conference. I love, I love Hartenstein too, but he's not. And he's I love Hartenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great player. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He uh, is, and, he and he's such a perfect fit in that group because Connected every piece. time. Connected yeah. piece. Yeah. And, and every time Jalen Brunson or Julius Randle draw in the center and help, he just gets the offensive rebound put back every single yeah. time. Yes, Five yes. more offensive rebounds against Brooklyn the other night. And it's like, that's just what he does. But like, ideally you need a, an athlete center there. And that's Mitchell Robinson, who, by the way, Mitchell Robinson, one of the most unsung heroes of that Cavs series, he absolutely single-handedly snatched the soul of Mobley and Allen in that series. Like he just destroyed those two guys in, yeah. in like every, in like every facet of the game. So like, again, I, I, the, I think if Mitchell was healthy, maybe they would have done something stupid like trade for uh, if Mitchell Robinson was healthy. They would have done something stupid like traded for Donovan Mitchell. And I think now it's like, take it slow, you know, see what happens. Maybe Joel Embiid becomes available if they lose again this year and they can't make an upgrade or something like that. But yeah, I, I don't think Mitchell, uh, I don't think Donovan Mitchell's the solution for the Knicks. But let's end it here. Becky Hammond, the Knicks don't have a dude. You got to have an one A dude. You were not. You are a Jalen Brunson guy. So how do you feel about those comments? Is she right? She's right in the sense that, like, if we look back at NBA history, you got to have one of those dudes. Here's the problem: there's like six or seven of those dudes. Like, there's six or seven of them. So that means that 23, 24 of the teams in the league just don't get to have one. And so again. If you see an opportunity, don't forget like about ju- don't don't forget about the 2004 Pistons, Jason. Come on, yes, exactly. <laughs> Chauncey Billups, one of the, the <laughs> one of the greatest players of all time. So, uh, yeah, I the way I look at it, like you gotta you gotta. I, I'm a big believer. Go get your one A first, and then build from there. But if you don't have access to a one A, you got to demonstrate competency and build assets and do all that kind of stuff. And my thing is like, uh, uh, that's another great reason why you don't go for a Mitchell. And if you do some sort of smaller trade to upgrade the three, that can help you re- maintain your competitiveness. But then at the same time, have the flexibility to make a move down the line. And if a guy like Joel Embiid becomes available, you make the move, but or you try to make the move if you can get in on that conversation. But again, I, I agree with Becky. It's just easier said than done. You know what I mean? It's like there's just like I like if you really start to look down the list. It's like Dame is a guy we consider a superstar, mm-hmm. but like he's, I don't know if he could be the best player on a championship team or it would have to be a really, really good team around him. Right. So the point is, is like you, re- it's a really short list of guys where you're like, oh, he's definitely good enough to be the guy that can lead us to a championship. Knicks fans weren't happy about that, Jason. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, great stuff. Uh, what do you have coming up? Everybody go subscribe to Hoops Tonight on YouTube. But what do you have coming up? Um, nothing too crazy. We've got Christmas day. We're going to be covering, uh, the Warriors and Lakers games live, and then we'll cover the rest of them on Tuesday. Uh, just standard, you know, day-to-day breakdowns and stuff. You guys can follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. Uh, we got our new hoops tonight channel. Now we launched a couple months ago, which has been cool. Uh, um, that one. Yeah. Just under hoops tonight. And then obviously wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight, Jason, it's always great talking rec basketball with you. (laughs) NBA basketball with you everything in between you know you're always welcome back on the show and talk soon it was good to see you brother until next time yes sir
There it is. Another episode of Combo's Court is in the books. Happy holidays to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. Big shouts to Jason for joining in. We appreciate you. Go subscribe to Hoops Tonight with Jason Tempf on YouTube. This episode was brought to you by Prize Picks. For a first deposit match up to $100, go to Prize Picks and punch in code combo. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Shouts to Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. And be on the lookout for episode 540 combo out.